Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Well, as I've already said a couple times, it is good to be with you here this morning. If we haven't met already, my name is Eric, the assistant pastor here. I'd love to meet you after the service. And we're continuing in our series in the Psalms of Ascent, going slightly out of order here for anyone who's uh, keeping score uh, as Gray and I trade off some, some vacation here. I want to start here this morning as we look at this psalm. My brothers and sisters and I, when growing up, we had a closet full of board games, and one that we pulled out pretty often to play uh, was a game called Othello. It's played on a small green grid of, uh, of squares with these little black and white tiles, and the goal of this game, I think it's also called Reversi, if you've ever seen that, is to own as much of the board as possible by causing tiles to flip over to your color. The game was pretty fun, we played it a lot, but uh, what was written on the side of the game box has always stuck in my mind, Um, and it said, Othello, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. And me and my siblings would joke about that all the time. We'd we'd say, oh, what took me a minute to learn, I have spent decades honing my craft at Othello to master this game. Um, Yes. A minute to learn, a lifetime to master. That is Psalm 131. Short to read, quick to take in, quick to process and maybe apply to your own life, but it is a lifetime of labor to be able to come to the Lord in this way. Really, it's his work in us. And this morning, I want to look at Psalm 131's simple call to lower our gaze, to lower our hearts before the Lord, to be content in the station that he has set us, to be content with the place that the Lord has us. But let us not be deceived. It may take one minute to read, but this psalm is a masterclass in contentment and has schooled the greatest men and women who have sought it. For as soon as we attempt to apply this to our lives, it is quickly revealed to us just how challenging this is. And yet all the same, this morning as we look at this psalm, let's have one main idea for us this morning, one imperative, something that we must do as brothers and sisters in Christ, is that we must settle for God. We must settle our soul for Him, our ambitions for Him smooth and quiet out our inward soul before him. And it is then that we will find the contentment we are looking for, the contentment that we think is at the end of our ambition is actually found in settling for God. So with that being said, I'll go further into the sermon in just a moment. Let me just go to the Lord in prayer for his guidance before we go any further. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you have said long ago, to many generations, to many women, 
to many men, words uttered, received, and applied, and I wonder what you might be saying to us today from what you have already spoken. Would you, by the power of your Spirit, make this Scripture to be a balm for our wounds, to be strength for those who are feeling weak, to be direction and light for those who are feeling lost, to have a medicinal sense for those who feel as though they are ailing in their souls? Would you use it as such, Lord? to equip and encourage and to challenge and to comfort, all by your Spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In verse 1 here, we get three different things that David says that he has not done or avoided doing. I'll get to those in just a minute, but I want to start with this first point, and that is what the first we get from the first verse, and that is to check our ambition. It's the first point this morning, looking at verse 1. Several years ago, my wife and I did a fad diet called Whole30. Whole30 is 30 days of fruit and vegetables and meat and a potato. Several potatoes, if you want. As many as you want. You won't want them after a while. Um, I, I don't even want to talk about this diet, honestly. It's, uh, it's no grains, it's no sugars, it's no beans, it's nothing artificial. Um, and really, uh, what you get out of this diet is, is, is kind of an epiphany moment that happens. Um, as, you're, as you're engaged in this diet, it's only 30 days. So really, by the time any effect of this horrible diet that sucked any reason out of living uh, from your life, um, you're only then beginning to see your weight actually go down at all, um, and, and the diet's over. And that's because this diet, like, like many others, is not actually designed to, um, to really help you lose a lot of weight or any sense. It's really designed to shape your, uh, your understanding of food and to realize something that's going on all around you and you just didn't know it. And with Whole30, that thing is sugar. Sugar is, in everything, all around you, all the time, and before I had had the challenge of looking at the ingredients list on an item and, and having to see, I had no context for how much sugar had been put into so much of what we were eating. Eight to ten items we'd take off the shelf, we'd just put back on, because sugar is in everything. So this diet is, is ideally training, I can't say it worked on me, but it's training uh, an understanding of food and, and what's already there. In the same way, Psalm 131 reveals a dominant sugar that's in our culture, that's all around us. We just don't often see it. And that is ambition. Ambition in our own hearts Hearts set high above what God has given us. Eyes that look far beyond what God has supplied for us. Feet that desire to walk and move in a different room, a different office, a different space than we already are. A desire for more than what the Lord has supplied. This is ambition 
ambition in the heart, and it is an active ingredient in so much of our culture, what we consume, and what we aspire to. It's often not until we look at Psalm 131 that we even realize that it's there. Like a sweetener, like a sugar, once it's been added to everything, we don't even recognize it's there anymore. And David, in this first verse, says what he has sworn off doing. He has said, I have checked my ambition. I'm aware it's there, and I've brought it down. He prays, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. It is amazing how often we find ourselves doing the opposite of what this psalm says, looking beyond what God has given us, what he has marked out for us, beyond what he has called us to, and picturing ourselves higher, more raised up, forging our own way, attempting to get what we need by any means necessary. Upper, higher, further, longer, deeper into where we need to be or where we think we need to be. One scholar remarking on this psalm said, this psalm teaches us to confine ourselves cheerfully to confine ourselves cheerfully within our own sphere. If we were to meet someone and ask them how they are doing and they were to respond, I am confining myself cheerfully to my own sphere, we would think, probably, I might be tempted to think, what a loser. (laughs) This person settled. They're just happy where they are. They don't have any itching, no drive to move forward, nothing they're longing for, nothing they have their eyes set on, nothing they're lifting their heart out towards at all. And yet that reveals the dominance of ambition all around us. And the psalm asks us to check our ambition. Check if that is the right way of thinking. Is it right to be thinking, what's next? Where am I on the scale and the gradient? Who's below me? Who's above me? Who do I need to take out to get higher? Who do I need to cozy up to to get further? This way of thinking is just accepted as natural in our culture. This up and up, it's applauded, it's venerated, and it's worshipped. But the scripture says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I don't get ordinary with the things that are clearly extraordinary and beyond me. I trust God. In other words, I've said no to the idea that I need to be beyond where I am. This is so hard in a culture that's, that where settling is wrong, where we're not supposed to settle. Let me try to illustrate this quickly for you. When I first moved to Phoenix seven years ago, I worked at a company selling security cameras and security systems. Uh, Each week, me and all the sales reps in the office, we would receive an email telling us our numbers. This is is the amount of sales that you've done. You'd see where you are on that list. That, That same list would also come out monthly. That same list would also come out quarterly. The weekly email, it didn't matter. You could delete it because you didn't know I have something coming in next week. Oh, don't worry about it. My numbers are low, but they'll be better next week. The month started to matter a little bit more, but the quarterly was a big deal. 
And when that quarterly came out with the sales numbers, you would see everyone's name, everyone you talked to in the lunchroom, everyone in the little gym that you might work out with or whatever, uh, in, that, in that office space, you'd see all the names and a number attached to every name. And here's what I'm trying to say from Psalm 131. It was so hard at that job to not find my name on that list and trace how many spaces up to get closer to the top? How many numbers up to get further up? And it was so hard not to lift my heart up and raise my eyes and say, oh, I wish I had the customers that Robbie has, or oh, I wish I did as good as Jeff does. And the flip side of that ambition in my heart, that may be a noble thing to desire to do well, to see others doing something with excellence and strive for, but pick up on the haughtiness and the pride that comes in through the back door of this. Because in that email, when I'm finding my name, the other thing that I'm doing is I'm seeing who's below me. And I'm thinking to myself, how did they get that low of numbers? And a haughtiness and a loftiness of the eyes looking down at someone else starts to happen in that moment. And this is what David has sworn off doing. He's in his lane. He's not lifting his heart up. His eyes aren't raised too high. He doesn't have a haughtiness or an arrogance going on. The King James Version says it this way, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. That gets that pride sense right in there into that, into that verse. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there, says David. It's a bad path to start to go down. Now, we, we might be thinking this morning, are you just going to throw out ambition entirely? Like, is this always wrong? Is it wrong to have a desire to do better, to do better than last time, to grow as in, our, in, in our own ways and in our own spaces and to flourish? Of course not. No, this is not a psalm uh, calling for deadbeats and couch potatoes to be sanctified by holy water and said, you're the only ones doing the right thing. No, that's not what it is. But it is a call to check our own ambitions and see if they are not infused with a haughtiness and a pride and a self-serving attitude that looks down on others and up on where we should be with a posture of discontent before the Lord. And here is the subtle danger of what may begin as a godly aspiration or a godly ambition. It may start as benign, a simple desire for success or pleasure or self-betterment, but soon it turns on us. And I'm not sure this morning to tell you where the line is where ambition sours to be self-serving. But the clues are here in the psalm with the haughtiness and the pride and abandoning a contentment with what God has already given us. And so the scriptures confront us with this challenge. Check our ambitions. Test and see if there are high ambitions in our heart. Has God signed off on that? Can you confirm that he has? Are you at least bringing it before the Lord to see if he would sign off on this aspiration and desire? Or is it something running unchecked internally, eating you alive and eating alive those around you in your way? Because if there's a touch of pride in how we look on those who are in, we would perceive to be in a lower sphere or setting in us, then there's an indication that our eyes are raised too high. 
and we have a haughtiness in our hearts. And kind of getting at the, the, the issue of the heart here this morning, I wonder, in a, in a culture that says to us, you, you, you shouldn't settle, you should get what's yours at any cost, you, you really should be against a level of contentment in your own life as a baseline, would this first verse, as read to us this morning, Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Would praying that before the Lord, would that be a relief to us, a relief to sit in the contentment of where we are, to hear God say to us, you don't have to be anywhere other than where you are right now? Or would it kick inwardly at our own ambition our own sense that we cling to, that we should be higher, we should be further along than we are. And so to pray this first verse is actually not a relief. It's a letter of resignment. It's, it's the equivalent of dying to say, I, I, would, I would give up this ambition, this desire, or at least I would bring it to the Lord before I pursued it any further. Because the thing that makes us tired is the ambition in our hearts that have not been set there by God. Sizing ourselves up to others. Weariness of trying to get higher and better and bigger. And then it clicks. You think it'll click. We think when I finally get here, then the contentment will follow. Then I'll be in a place where I'm settled before the Lord and I'll be content in my station. And Psalm 131 wants to offer us a gospel relief from the Lord to say, it's okay to be where you are. You're right where you need to be. Be relieved. God is not the one hounding you to get higher and better in your life. He's already raised Christ as high as anyone ever needs to be. And the, the invitation of the gospel is, would you by faith join him? Not would you do the equivalent to Christ? Would you do the better? Would you do a little good so I'll round the, I'll, I'll curve the grade and we'll all be good? No. Would you, would you receive the contentment I have in my son as the contentment I would have in you? You don't need to raise your heart higher. You don't need to raise your eyes higher. I've already done it. This psalm leads us in the work of contenting our own soul. And the first step of that work is checking our ambition, just to surrender them before the Lord and say, is this from you? Where is this going? Where is this coming from? What's this flavor of, of haughtiness I sense in here, Lord? That's not of you. Help me tweak this. Help me get my aspirations before you in a godly sense. I don't want to have my heart lifted too high. The second point is to this, of this uh, sermon this morning is to content your soul. I believe that's what David is pointing us to in this second verse. This is an interior work, a labor to settle our soul before God, as he says in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And so the task of settling for God is not only the absence of self-serving ambitions, but an active engagement with learning contentment. 
And, and I want us to see two things in this second verse. I want to see how he shows us how to learn contentment, how to labor to be content in the Lord in our lives. But, this, but David doesn't just teach us that. He also teaches us what to expect when we're laboring in contentment. In other words, teaches us how to be a student of contentment, and he also teaches us what to expect when we sit down at the desk and pick up the pencil to learn contentment. What, what should we do and what should we expect? First, he shows us how to be a student of contentment when he simply says, but surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. This statement could literally mean to be smoothed and stilled out, to press down, to flatten, to relax, to buff out the wrinkles. And here is what is being said, is that in order to achieve contentment, to learn contentment, to labor towards being a contented person, the answer has not actually been to go headlong into my own desires and trust that contentment will be there at the end when I achieve my own ambitions. That is often the unsaid motivating factor of how we plan and orient our lives. We do desire to be content. We desire to be satisfied and arrive at a place where we think we will But the truth of this psalm says it is actually in quieting and stilling the soul that is within you and lowering yourself down that you receive the contentment that's already there in what God has already given you. And so contentment is not the inevitable outcome of arriving where we think we need to be. It's actually about calming our soul down, of taking those spikes of desire of pride, of discontentment, and smoothing them down, calming what is rough, quieting what is churning within us. This is what it means to be a student of, dis- of contentment. A Puritan preacher from about 400 years ago, Jeremiah Burroughs, wrote a uh, well-known book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And first, just take comfort in the fact that a 400-year-old book was titled the rare jewel of Christian contentment. It has been rare, a rare jewel for a while, so says Jeremiah Burroughs, and I think I relate to that today as a rare jewel in my own life. But he, he begins the book by saying something like, if you want to be content, here's a trick you can try. Lower your own expectations. So simple, so timeless, lower the expectations of whatever we think ought to be going on, just bring them down a notch. We'll find contentment is soon to follow. And surely this echoes what Psalm 131 is saying to us. Surely, Lord, I promise you, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I've smoothed down what is prickling underneath, ambition, wrongful desire that's way out of my league. And I'm, I'm, I'm set to be content in what you have given me. But this, this action of lowering our expectations, of checking our ambition and, and, and learning to content our soul is not an easy one. And that is what we hear next in this psalm. He tells us not only how to seek contentment, but what to expect. And this is what we should expect. Like a weaned child with its mother, Like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
It is a mercy of God that we do not remember our own birth, and it is also a mercy of God that we do not remember the time when we were weaned. For it is truly a child's first and greatest sorrow. Their world turns upside down when they are being weaned. They can no longer go back to the way things are. And it's hard on the whole family. The baby cannot learn to, is learning to cope. The mother aches to satisfy their child, to quiet their cries, to comfort them. But they must be denied that they might learn a different and better contentment that only comes from passing through this time of weaning. For it is indeed better to sit in a booster seat at the table with the family. It is better to eat squash and strawberries and pork chops and look across the table at a brother or a sister who's making a joke It's better to taste different textures and feelings and practice throwing it on the ground so dad can overreact. (laughs) That is a great comfort, and it only comes through a difficult process of weaning that a different and better contentment that the child did not even know was possible or existed, that a better contentment must be learned, but it's only through this difficult season. And of course, God in his wisdom has a season of nursing for all newborns, but it does have an expiration date when a child must mature. And in the process of this grief, of this weaning, the child learns an even deeper comfort. I must share this quote with you from the great preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon. I truly cannot say it any better. To the weaned child, his mother is is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. It is a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forego the joys which once appeared to be essential and can find our solace in him who denies them to us. I love that first line. His comfort, though she has denied him comfort. A weaning that leads to a deeper contentment is what this feels like. And it is hard, and it is grief-filled, but it is the mercy of God as he draws us closer to himself and to a better contentment. And we see the fullness of that worked out, even as the psalm says, my soul has gone through the withdrawals of weaning. I've lowered my heart. I've lowered my eyes. I'm not trying to move and, and occupy and be in a space that's greater than what you've given me. I'm not convulsing, I'm composed. I'm not screaming anymore, I'm silent. My contentment is complete. And I have found my joy and comfort in the one who temporarily denied me comfort from what I thought I wanted to find a better comfort in him. And so there is a parallel between verse 1 and verse 2, for there is a parallel between someone who cannot surrender their own self-serving ambitions and an unweaned child. Both convulse and clamor and howl for their needs because they have not learned the secret that the one who would deny them what they want is leading them towards a deeper contentment in him. But as long as that contentment is postponed, then prideful ambition remains active and alive. 
And as long as prideful ambition remains active and alive, maturing cannot resume. For the soul that will not settle on God will not rest in Him. If we cannot settle for God, how will we rest in Him? And so we who are His children, the children of God, must recognize that there are seasons of weaning in our lives where something we have desired or found comfort in is being checked or removed from us. We must bear the truth in mind that God is not being mean. He's pushing us toward a deeper comfort in Him. Also importantly, we must understand the comfort that we have not done something wrong. We're children being led by our Heavenly Father, learning to acquire a taste for nourishment we haven't yet experienced. And the Lord in His grace can take even our flailing and wailing as He matures us to find a deeper contentment in Him. And so we must settle for God. I say this tongue-in-cheek because we know God is the highest good. How, how, how could it be even said that we would settle for Him? And yet, so often in our lives, we, we do have our hearts set beyond what He has given us. And when we kind of realize, like, this isn't the path God's leading me down, and we're disappointed by it, and that's okay, our, our attitude towards God is kind of like, I really wanted that, but, but God took it, so I just settle for what He has and what He has for me, and I'm sure it'll, it'll work out to be best. It is what's best. It is. Even when signed off on by a sarcastic or snarky heart, as I have so often done, praise God, it is better that we are weaned. For our discomfort will lead us to a closer contentment in Him. And now this this psalm has been said to be a sort of maintenance psalm. I want to look at the third verse in just a minute, something that we return to, like we already said, a minute to learn, but a lifetime to master. I went to college where I grew up in South Carolina, and when I was living in the dorms, um, they, and there was like a toilet issue or a light bulb problem, the maintenance guy would come around to help. We would always hear his knock. Maintenance, he would say in this southern accent. So we would do that to each other, you know, knock on each other's doors and say, maintenance, you know, but it's not, it's just me. Um, Hi. Psalm 131 is knocking on the door, and if I can, it's saying, maintenance. It wants to see us maintain a contentment before the Lord. And so he closes, O Israel, hope in the Lord, this time forth and forevermore. That is, the business of contentment, of of settling our souls for God, leads to a hope in Him. But this is not a one-time act in which we arrive at contentment and stay there, but rather we must continually seek the Lord in checking our ambitions and surrendering to Him even as He weans us through our lives. And this is the fruit of this contentment, that our hope would be forever rooted in the Lord our God and the station He has established for us. We must settle for God, for where else will our hope come from? 
And so David, in in closing this brief prayer, cries out in encouragement to Israel, his people who he is king over, O Israel, won't you join me in this contentment and hope I've found here? I surrendered the ambitions of my heart. I, I lowered my pride and humility. I'm not rashly trying to do anything here. I just want to be close to God. And I found more contentment and hope in that than I ever knew. And, and I, I just want to preach that for us this morning with David. Can we set aside the, the ambitions that are all around us and, and, and turning inward on us? Can we, can we quiet those before him and, and recognize the value in, in settling for God? So much of our own ambitions and desires are, are born out of a fear in our deepest interior a sense of not having amounted to much. We feel as though we have not arrived to where we need to be. And so we, we kind of use these ambitions and desires as a way of, of an asterisk in our lives to say, I haven't, I haven't amounted to, to quite what I hoped yet. My life hasn't quite gone the way I thought it would yet, but, but I'm going to set my heart here. I'm going to set my vision here. And when I finally get to this place, then the contentment I've been longing for will, will follow. Then the ache that's within me will go away, and this feeling of this kind of swir- swirling worthlessness will go away, and, and, and I'll find love, and someone will want to love me. I've got to, got to get here to this spot this higher up spot than I already am, or die trying. Because to pray this psalm, to settle where I am, that would be like a tantamount to death anyways. I've got to get up to here. Oh, friends, hope in the Lord and his powerful gospel this morning that if you are in Christ, God is fully content in you. God is not calling you to be bigger than you are, to be further along than you are. To fill any ambition before you, your creator, your maker, your redeemer has sent Christ, his son, into the world to fulfill every ambition of God that we who by free grace call out to him might have the satisfaction of knowing God is content in me because I am in Christ And I cannot add or subtract from the work of Christ. And it has fully contented God. God is content in us. He has settled on those of us who are in Christ. This is the gospel that we proclaim. We cannot set our heart higher than Christ has already gone. We cannot eyeball a target that Christ has not hit. We cannot walk around into some new place and impress God in a way more than His Son already has. And Christ has done that for you, for me, that God might be content in us as we are in Christ. This is our gospel. May we bring our ambitions to the Lord and settle before our God. It is enough. He is enough. He is enough to work within us close us in prayer. Our Lord and our God, I I don't know how to pray this psalm. I can't I can't in truthful lips speak these words as if I have arrived at this place 
of surrendering my ambitions to you and of truly quieting myself to you. I think that'd be true of many of us here, Lord. We just speak freely before you this morning and recognize we have things going on in our hearts that are unchecked, that need to be reined in by you. We have impulses within us that are validating ourselves rather than finding a a validation in your gospel and the grace we have received. With the gentleness of this psalm and with the way a mother and a father deal with their child who is weaning, would you help us, Lord? Lead us to check what needs to be checked and to content our souls. It is only by your power and your strength that we can do this. We thank you that we are moving ever closer to an age where all of us, all who are in Christ, will be fully satisfied in you. Come quickly, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.